Folks, God is working, and we just give him all the praise and all the glory. And I want you to know that, go ahead. And I want you to know this. We are one family. If you think that you don't matter, I was talking to someone uh, here uh, right before I was coming in, and she said, well, I've only been coming three weeks. I said, guess what? You're still family. You don't have to come here for like three years and pass a test and those things. We're one family, and it takes all of us to minister in the way that we do. So I just want you to know how much you are appreciated, how much you are valued, because we truly are one family. And I just praise God for you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and for what God is doing. Now, last month, I did a series entitled Spiritual Places. And I don't know about you, but I have heard from many of you, and I know in my own life, was the enemy at work? Absolutely. He tried to discourage, he tried to defeat, he tried to uh, steal, kill, and destroy, but God just kept working and kept delivering people, kept saving people, and it was a, a phenomenal month. But now we're going to a new series entitled, We Worship. Now, I want you to notice something, the first part, we, okay? If you're here, we want you to worship. You say, Randy, I can't sing. I can't either. Okay? I honestly cannot. My, my wife and daughter will tell you that's the truth. But you know what? When we're here, and that's why we have the music a little bit louder, it's not trying to cause you to have hearing problems. We do it so that you can sing without feeling like, oh, man, I'm louder than everybody else. I'm just going to sit back. But worship, many times we misdefine worship. Worship, we think, is a certain style. People that know me know I hate labels. I think labels are inaccurate. But, you know, we have, uh, do you do the traditional style or the contemporary style? Folks, worship is worship. Because if you do the traditional style, do you do the piano and organ or just piano? Or traditional, do you not have any instruments? And so we start kind of narrowing down what we're comfortable with. We do contemporary. Do you have the drums? How many guitars do you have? One guitar is okay. More than that's a little excessive. You see, we start to kind of get focused on what it looks like to worship. We come in and we're like, well, oh, that pastor was a little dry today. I really didn't get much out of the message. Or, wow, man, that was awesome. That was great. Or, boy, the people that were sitting next to me just kept moving around. It was distracting and we get so unfocused from worship. And it's no wonder that the enemy wants to attack worship when we understand today and through this month what worship really is. Because when we understand what it is, we understand why the enemy does not want us to experience it. So today's message is going to be this, the focus of worship. Because if you don't have the focus of worship, then you'll make it about yourself. It's what you're comfortable with. It's what you approve of, what you disprove of. It would be like somebody that would say, uh, let's say your child sent you a happy birthday card. And you're sitting there going, wow, they wrote that just for me. And somebody came along, critiqued it, and said, they use crayon. I think that's sloppy. They shouldn't use crayon. They should have used colored pencils. 
as the person receiving that card, would you just want to look at that other person and just be like, be quiet? But that's what it's like when we come to worship. We sit there and go, I, just, I don't think they can really sing that well. I don't think. And God's like, be quiet. It's not for you. It's for me. See, when we understand the focus of our worship, it brings it where it should be. Now, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to do something I always wanted to do. I had always wanted to ride a motorcycle. Never had the opportunity. And so one time I was at, a, at an auction for a place and they had a raffle and I won the raffle and it was a free motorcycle lesson and training at Harley-Davidson. How cool is that? I was just like a kid at Christmas. And so I didn't, it didn't take me long. I got it signed up and I went to take the, the class and got to sit on a Harley-Davidson. I know some of you may not be Harley people, but this is my story, so let me live it. I'm on the Harley-Davidson, and I'm like, this is awesome. But then it's like, okay, I've driven big rigs, and I've driven all these kind of vehicles. What do you do? And so they go through the class, and they teach you how to do it. But he, the instructor gave this one key piece of advice to all of us who are taking the class. Whenever you're riding a motorcycle... Look where you want to go, and the bike will follow. If you don't look where you want to go, and you just look down, you'll go down. Guess what? I learned that lesson. Because you get riding along, like, okay, am I, am I doing everything right? And you look down, and all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, and you go down. Thankfully, they don't give you, like, expensive Harleys while you're doing this. But then when I got the idea that if I just looked where I wanted to go, where I wanted to go through the curve. I didn't just stay focused on the curve. I looked past the curve. And guess what? I could do all kinds of tricks going in and out of cones and had no problem. The focus made the difference on the direction. Church, when it comes to worship, focus makes the difference on whether or not you're worshiping or whether you're just kind of going through the motion. And Psalm 95 helps to give us the focus for what worship looks like. And Psalm 95 says, oh, come, let us sing. See, there's that we, right? It's all of us. It's not just me, it's we. Let us sing to the Lord. Now, notice something here in these first couple verses. I want you to see the direction, right? Oh, come, let us sing. Does it say about the Lord? No, it says what? To the Lord. There's the focus. That's where I'm looking at. I'm not just there going, well, the words were okay, but I just didn't care. No, I'm singing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Do you see? We worship. We as the body of believers, we as followers of Jesus Christ, it's not just a set few, it's not just the worship team, it's we, let us sing. But what are we singing to him? We're singing to him. For the Lord is a great God. Here's why we're singing. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Now look at how this, these verses go on. It says in the next part, O come, 
Again, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, and I stopped it there, because you know why? Whenever you go into the presence of God and you see him and your focus is on him, he will minister to you. Some people have always asked me, how do I know the will of God? How do I know which way I'm supposed to go? How do I know? Because you worship. Had a, had a person come to me just a few weeks ago and said, I, I'm, I need prayer, I need guidance, I need help. Uh, where I work is just really hard, really difficult people and so forth. Uh, so I need to know, should I leave my job? I said, Possibly. Should I stay? I replied, possibly. She looked at me and said, you're not much help. I said, I get that often. Because you see, we want to kind of have it right. We can turn to 2 Kelly chapter 2, verse 2, and it says, Randy, today I want you to do this. But it doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that way. But what happens, church, is when we go into his presence and we worship then we see what he wants for us to do. He guides and directs us. I saw this quote this week. It says this, until God opens the next door, worship in the hallway. There's a lot of truth in that. So what is a, what is a basic definition of worship? Worship is a response of extreme love, honor, and reverence. Worship is when you say, Lord, you've loved me so much. And so, Lord, I just give that back to you. It's honor because he is God. It's reverence because he is holy. It is understanding who he is. It's understanding his great love. And you just come and just say, I want to know more of that. But here's the problem. And some of you are going to get mad with me, but it's okay. I want you to let this truth sink in. Ready? If you worship today to the same extent that you worshiped your team yesterday, that's not worship. Or if you do the same as you worshiped your spouse on Thursday, maybe you had date night. You say, oh, honey, you're awesome. You're great. I love you. And today you're coming to God going, oh, God, you're great. I love you. That's a problem. Yourself every other day. Don't we like to worship ourselves? Man, you are awesome. You are great then God is not worshiped. He is simply the favor or the flavor of the day. You see, when you understand what worship really is, it is the focus. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like fair-weathered fans, do you? I don't like people that, you know, uh, the, the team that I pull for, that uh, I, I, I like very much and have been there. And, you know, we don't want to make it about the Dallas Cowboys, but so we won't mention them. But <clears throat> we had really good years in the 90s. That's a long time ago. But guess what? I've been there all the way through. People are talking about this could be the year they win the Super Bowl. Well, we've been saying that for a long time. Who knows? But you hear people coming on that just last year were like, oh, Cowboys stink. Now they're like, hey, I love the Cowboys. Hey, no, no, don't jump on this bandwagon. 
Don't get here and be celebrating now when you didn't do it last week or last year. Church, if we come to Sunday, and because it's Sunday, we're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'm going to church. Yep, love you, God. Awesome. But then we don't think about him tomorrow. We don't think about him on Tuesday. We don't worship him on Wednesday. We don't, do you see what I'm saying? He just becomes the flavor of the day. And God is worth so much more than being flavor of the day. C.S. Lewis, you might know C.S. Lewis, great author, great mind. He was one that set out to determine and prove that God was fake. And the more that he studied and the more he tried to prove God was fake, the more he proved God was real. And C.S. Lewis came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. But there was something about Christianity that C.S. Lewis struggled with, and that was worship. He said, why does a holy God need an unholy people to tell him, good job, we love you, you're awesome, we adore you. And he struggled with that until he was reading through the Psalms and he came through passages like Psalm 95 and and there were others that he came to this conclusion and look at what he said. It is in the process of being worshiped that God communicates his presence to men. And C.S. Lewis said, it clicked with me. I then understood. It wasn't the fact that God needed me to say, hey, great job, as if he was going through some doubt and some you know, self-concern. No, he understands when I get that, it opens up his presence to me. Now, we know that's true because let's just take... In, in, in a marriage, right? If you're always criticizing and condemning each other, do you enjoy being in each other's presence? No, you like, don't want to face that. But when you sit there and go, you know what, I'm so thankful for you. You've been such a blessing. Marrying you was the best thing that ever happened to me. Then the other person opens up and goes, man, listen, I just, I want to love you more. When we come to God and we say, God, You are everything to me. You are my all. You are my hope. You are my strength. You are my all. And when we show and yield that to him, then his presence is open to us. See, that's why the focus is so important. We understand now his presence. True worship Not pretend, not we're trying to make it like it is. True worship is when we recognize God as the sole object of our love, honor, and reverence. You say, so Randy, are you saying that I can't love my wife? I can't honor my parents? No. What I'm saying is this. If God is not the focus of that, then any love you try to give to your spouse, to your kids, to your coworkers, to anybody will simply be man-made. And it will not be the depth that it can be if you'll do it from God. You see, when we truly put him first and we focus on him, then it opens us up to be able to love others, honor others as we should, because they now are not competing with him. We are worshiping and obeying them and loving them and all of that because of our true worship to God. Make sense? Parents, If you really want to love your kids, learn how much God loves you, and it'll change how you see your kids. Spouses, if you really want to know what it's like to have unconditional, 
unknowing, I mean, just mind-blowing love towards each other, then understand the love that God has for you. If you don't do that, then it's simply what you think it should look like, and, and you try to make it work. Worship is when we enter into his presence by the leading of his spirit because of the finished work of Jesus. So I come to the cross. By the way, folks, every one of you have to make a decision what you're going to do with the cross. I love when Billy Graham was building, they were going to build the Billy Graham Library. He did not want his name associated with it. He was not that way. Franklin talked to him and said, Dad, if your name's not on it, nobody's going to come to the religious center. It has to have your name on it. Billy Graham prayed, he came back, he said, uh, I'll agree to it on one condition. The only way into the library is through the cross. And if you've ever been to the Billy Graham Library, the only way in is at the foot of the cross. You see, when I come and I recognize Jesus died for me, and I accept his gift of salvation, that opens me up into the Father's presence. Can I tell you something, church? You can't get there any other way. You can't get there by being a good person, by coming to church. You can't get there any other way than through the cross. So the cross opens the door. The Spirit leads us because now we belong to him. The Bible tells us that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. His Spirit is given to us to work in and through us, and therefore we are allowed to come into the presence of God because God himself said this to you and to me. You may enter my throne room boldly. You can come before me with confidence. Wow, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. That the God of the universe says that to us. But you see, there's something else that we have to understand. Everything, not just some things, everything that is part of us, the good, the bad, the ugly, everything of us has to be brought to his feet. The burdens, the addictions, the loss, the fear, the sickness, everything is laid there. Everything is brought before him. You see, there's, there's one thing that the enemy doesn't want you to know, and that's this. Jesus' blood makes you worthy to come before God. But because you're his child, you're welcome to come. And when you're hurting, and when you're facing addiction, when you're facing depression, when you're facing defeat, when you're, when you're struggling, you don't say, okay, God, I'm going to try to get better, and then I'll come before you. My friend, the way you get better is you come before your Father, and you come before him in true worship and say, Lord, here I am. And his presence is made known to you. Do you see now why the enemy doesn't want you to worship he wants you to pretend. He wants you to try to duplicate it in your own terms because you don't understand the power when you do it your way. But when you come and take it before him and say, Lord, here it is, then he shows you he is our God. Our feelings become replaced by faith. You say, Randy, does that mean feelings aren't involved in worship? No, I didn't say that. But understand what I'm saying. You don't get worked up to worship. You worship, then get worked up. That makes sense? You don't sit there and go, okay, I gotta get ready, I gotta get ready. No. 
when you're in his presence and you see just a glimpse of his glory and of his holiness, it moves you to emotion. Your faith opens up the feeling. Your sufferings are healed by his stripes. To understand the very God of the universe, the very God that created me, has me in his hand. And if today is my last day on earth, so be it. Because he has the full power. Our death becomes life. Our sorrows turn to joy. Why? Fabricated? Absolutely not. Because we're in his presence. Worship is when we recognize his extravagant love for us. And we respond, hallelujah. Hallelujah, you've heard the, the team sing it many times. I raise a hallelujah. It's two Hebrew words, hallel, means to praise almost to the point of looking silly. Now, some of you might have football teams that struggle. And maybe you've been where you're down like 45 to nothing. And your team's there, and your team gets a touchdown. It's now 45 to 6. Most people would say, whoop-de-doo. A true follower of that team would be up there be going, that's right, that's my team. People look at you like, you're crazy. You're crazy. It's 45 to 6, congratulations, you scored a touchdown, you missed the extra point. What's there to be excited about? Because you know what? That's my team. Church, can I tell you? Humanly speaking, it looks like God doesn't have anything to do. It looks like that God's not on the scene, but can I tell you, he absolutely is. And when everybody else is saying, you say you're a Christian, who cares? Look at what you're going through because he's my God. I raise a hallelujah. I raise the praise to the one who is worthy of it all. That Yah, the J-A-H at the end is short for Yahweh. That's his covenant name, which means I am. I raise the praise to the one who deserves it, and that's God. But you know what? We still struggle because, again, it's easy to make it about us. It's easy to make it about what we like, and we miss out on that blessing we miss out on, well, I'm, I'm just not used to this. I'm not used to that. I, I would like to see this. I would like to see that. Folks, I've been in India where I didn't understand a word that they said, but I can tell you what, we were in the presence of God. Maybe you struggle with worship like this clip says. God 
come and we look for things that make sense to us. <clears throat> and when it doesn't, because let me tell you, it never will, then we just say, I'm just not into it. I'm just not into it. Or maybe you came today and you're like, man, I, I like everything. I like everything that happens here. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here, but I'm just not into it. You see, the enemy brings things into our lives like discouragement, like sorrow, like death of a loved one, because his intention is to get our focus off of Jesus. His intention is to get us to where we will focus on something else rather than on the one who can comfort us, who can heal us, who can strengthen us. And so when we recognize those things and we come and just say, Lord, my heart's broken because of what has happened in my family, because of what's taken place, and we come into his presence then he speaks. Do you remember when Lazarus died? Four days had passed. Jesus shows up. Mary and Martha are just heartbroken. Lord, if you'd been here four days earlier, our brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if you'd have been here then, it'd been okay. And I love Jesus' words when he comes and he says to Mary and to Martha, can I tell you something? I am. There's that word Yahweh. I am resurrection and life. 
when I show up, resurrection and life happens. What happened to Lazarus? Jesus brought him back from the dead. You see, the death of their brother kept Mary and Martha from wanting to come to Jesus. And they're just, they're heartbroken. Instead of embracing him and just saying, Lord, can you heal him? They'd given up and said that there's no use. It's done. But folks, when you come to worship, you're coming to focus on the one who with him, all things are possible. He can heal. He can raise the dead. He can strengthen. He can do all of those things. And so when we worship, we come and we don't let anything else distract us and we come to focus on him. And I just want to give you a couple of examples or a couple of reasons that help us to understand why we should focus on him. The first one is this. He is the God of creation. If all God ever did for you was create you, then you should still worship him because he's God. If that's all he ever did for you and he was just your creator, then you should still worship him. But, but I'm thankful that he didn't just create us. He didn't say, okay, I created you, gave you life. Oh, you chose the devil. So, all right, you're on your own. No, he didn't just create us, he redeemed us. He bought us back. He paid the price for our sin so that we could have that relationship with him again. Folks, understand that. He wanted you and me to have that relationship with him again. He didn't just create you, but he wanted to redeem you from the sinful nature and bondage that you and I go through so that you could trust him and have that relationship with him. Do you realize the power of understanding you're redeemed? Now, I mentioned this, and this is not to stir up any kind of debate, just take it for the truth that it is. But this week, there was a trial that took place for a police officer that had killed an individual, and she was on trial. She was found guilty, and they bring her in for the sentence. And the brother's on the stand of the one that was killed. And he just sits there and he goes, Your Honor, can I please give her a hug? It's the same person that killed his brother. And she grants it and he goes and he gives her a hug. Later on, he said that the reason he did that was because his brother was a strong follower of Jesus and he wanted to make sure that she would know about Jesus. Well, that opened up the courtroom. The next thing, the judge leaves the bench, goes back to her quarters, comes back with her Bible, comes to the defendant, puts the Bible down and says to her and opens it up to John three sixteen, the verse we take for granted so many times. And she says, listen, you're guilty. You've made a mistake, but this does not have to define you. You can have a John three sixteen life. I was listening to some of the reporters that were covering this and they were talking and said, what's John 3, 16? Another person said, I don't know. I've seen it at the end zones of football games, but I don't know what it means. The other reporter comes in and says, 
For those of us that are Christians, it means that God so loved us that he gave Jesus so we could have pardon from our sin and forgiveness. It has so shocked the community and the nation that people are talking about it everywhere. But I want to rewind. What if that brother had just stayed silent and said, I'm not going to give her that forgiveness. I'm not going to give that to her. But with all the cameras watching, with all the attention, he goes up and just hugs her and says, I forgive you. Why could he do that? Because he's superhuman? No, because his focus was on Jesus. He said, Jesus has redeemed me, and he can redeem you. Do you see the power of that? You see, when the focus is where it should be, it allows you to act in ways you don't think you can do. I don't know if I'd have the courage. I don't know if I would have the conviction to do that. You get your eyes focused on Jesus, and you will. So not only is he our creator, and he's our redeemer, he's our healer. You see, when we understand Thank God he's given to doctors and nurses the skills to heal and to provide treatments, and, and we thank God for that. But can I tell you, all that healing comes from him because he's the healer. And when we understand that if I'm battling sickness, if I'm going those, that he's got it. He's not up there wringing his hands going, oh, man, I wasn't expecting Randy to have to go through this. I don't know what's, no, he's the healer in his timing, in his way. That's why James 5 talks about if any sick among you, let him ask for the elders and they come and anoint with oil and pray over him. What you're doing is you're just saying, Lord, you are the healer. Whatever you design, I trust. And one of the things that God showed me when I went through that passage is this. Do you realize for the child of God, the greatest healing is death? Think about that. Now, none of us pray that way, right? We don't go in the hospital and go, Lord, let it be today. We want the healing. We want the, the thing to be cured. But if we truly under, if our focus is truly Christ and to understand that to be in his presence, all oh, the glory and, and the wonder of it, that's the greatest healing that can take place. Like I shared a, a few messages ago, if all that the enemy has to scare me with is death, it's not that bad because I'm going to be with him. But you see, the enemy wants us to be distracted so we won't worship. Here's another thing. God has the power to treat us as slaves. We're the ones that rebelled against him. So when he redeemed us, he could have said, okay, I'll buy you back, but I'm buying you back as slaves. You're just going to do what I want you to do, and I'll treat you however I want. See the beauty of it? He didn't do that. He brought us as sons and daughters. And rather than harm us, he heals us. What a God. But he's not just our, our creator and our redeemer and our healer. He's our provider. He provides everything. James says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Folks, just look at your life. Look at how he's blessed you. But what does the enemy do? Well, yeah, he blessed you with a job, but he didn't bless you with the job this person has. You see, he likes to get us sidetracked so we don't worship. We just complain. We just think we've missed out. All that we have comes from him. But our words are really futile. So here's the best way to describe God. God is God. All that he is, he's God. Exodus 3, 14 through 15, Moses is going to go lead the nation of Israel. But he's like, why are they going to follow me? Who should I tell them sends me? God said to Moses, I am. That's that word Yahweh. That's his covenant name. Yahweh is Yahweh. 
And he says, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. See, that's how they recognized his name. God's giving them a new name. And he says, I am the God of Isaac and of Abraham and of Jacob. But let me just tell it to you even greater. I am. I am life. I am hope. I am peace. Do you see what I'm saying? This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. You see, there's words that we try to come up with, God, and if we'll go ahead and put all of them up on the screen, please. Love, justice, power, wisdom, holy, light, glory, majesty. We could go on and on for the rest of the day today, giving all the things that God is. But when I understand that, I understand if I'm in darkness, he is light. If I am sin, he is holy. If I am confused, he is wisdom. If I am angry and hateful, he is love. And when I worship and I focus on him, those things come into being. Our words can never adequately describe who God is without this statement. God is God. So you see, church, why the enemy doesn't want you to worship God? He's completely happy to get you to go through the motions. He's completely happy to get you to go to church. But as I've challenged you before, I don't want you to go to church. I want you to understand you are the church. I want you to understand that your relationship with him is crucial. And that's why the enemy distracts. But I want to go to the end times, to the book of Revelation chapter 4, And this is a passage that's often debated, and I'll show you why in just a second, but let's hear what it says. The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you create all things and by your will they existed and were created. You see, the enemy gets us confused and we start arguing. Who are the 24 elders? And people throughout time have debated on who those 24 elders are. Can I tell you why God didn't name them? Because that's not the focus of this passage. He didn't send them to the 24 elders, by the way. Those are the 12 apostles and those are the 12 tribes of Israel. There we go. He didn't say that because that's not the focus. The focus is on Jesus. Look at what happens with these 24 elders. We know that they are representative of humanity. They are the the leaders of the human race. But these 24 elders, when John looks at them, they are consistently falling down and saying, worthy are you, O Lord. You are our worship. You are our focus. Lucifer got tired of people worshiping God. He was there right next to God in the throne room. And he said, I want some of that worship. You see, worship is powerful. And the enemy does not want you to worship God because he knows the power that's there when his presence is made known to you. So he gets us distracted by all the other things, by our hurts, by our worries, by our problems, by our preferences. And he says, just come and see him. But our words are done. Because what's going to happen in the last days is this. Church, just let that sink in. One day, 
our faith is going to become sight. One day, we're going to see Jesus. One day, everything we've read, everything we've heard, everything that we've practiced, everything, the worship that we've done, all of that is going to come into complete, crystal clear focus because there he is. So what if that was today? What if you're leaving here and you go in the parking lot and you see Jesus? For those that are ready, you're like, oh, Forget lunch. Forget lunch. Forget the ball. I'm seeing Jesus. But church, would you have to change a few things? If you saw him, would you have to say, Lord, I've been meaning to deal with this unforgiveness. Lord, I've been meaning to deal with this. Lord, I've been meaning to deal with this. So can I invite you today, right now, and when the team comes out, that we worship If you've not come to Jesus by the cross, if you've not accepted his work on Calvary, today's the day. You can ask him to come into your heart, forgive you of your sins, and be your Lord and Savior. You can commit your life to him today. That's the first step of worship, is giving yourself to Jesus, the way of the cross. But for those of us that are saved, what's distracting us? What's keeping us from focusing on Jesus? That we would confess that, and for the, the two songs that the worship team will be doing in just a minute, that we would say, you are my worship. I focus on you. We worship. Are you part of that? Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this, the gift of worship. It's not just an act. It is not a performance. It is us focusing on you. It is us bringing our cares, bringing our sorrows. It is us bringing our failures. It is us bringing ourselves into your presence. And then, Father, when we see Jesus, oh, your presence is made known, and we are changed. So, Father, our prayer is, that for these next few moments, that it would just be a taste of what would come for tomorrow and Tuesday and every day of our life, that we would worship you, that we would focus on you. So, Father, may it be true of us right now. We worship. And we'll praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.